Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm delighted to be here. My name's Paul John Dykes. And joining me for the Axon Bulletin is Laura Bradburn and Jim Orr. Welcome back. This is uh, your Friday lineup. It's always a pleasure to see you guys. How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm going to start. I'm going to. Yeah, everything was fine except for the, the football. But in saying that, Jim, let's start off with the football because since our last uh, discussion, obviously we've gone out and were defeated by St. Mirren. But we bounced back. We bounced back at Rugby Park. Jim Moore, does that change anything for you? Are, are there green shoots of recovery, at least in the sense of stringing some results together between now and the end of the season? And I don't mean recovery in terms of all the other restructuring issues that we've been discussing. I think the answer to that is no, obviously. Uh, I said at the start of the last one, this season's death by a thousand cuts. And we're sitting in limbo just now. And it's hard to get actually up for watching the matches. I've got a few mates who, who never miss a match. Now they're not bothered. Uh, we have to get second place and we'll definitely get second place because about six weeks ago we were saying we've got a team that's good enough to actually win the league so you know they should be good enough to get to get second place uh, I think people will look back in the month of January 2021 as one of the most embarrassing 
of the club's history when you think of all the things that's happened over the course of that month. Uh, six points of 18, I think it was. Uh, miles behind in the league. With Dubai, nonsense. Uh, not sending any players in the window, but again, that might be a good thing, depending on who the manager's going to be next year. So, I've said the word scunnered quite a few times, and I think scunnered is still the thing. I think Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, sorry, it was a poor team we were playing against. Uh, we played some nice, neat football, but at the end of the day, they're, they're very poor. I think the standard this year, and most of the SPL is pretty poor. I think there's been four teams have changed their manager yeah, so far. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Aberdeen have been poor, I think. St Johnson no bad, Dundee United no bad, St Mirren no bad. One team's running away with the whole thing, and uh, and uh, we all deserved. You know, we've, we've no complaints about that. Uh, so scunnered, I think, is the answer. Uh, the one, the one good thing I liked about Tuesday night was uh, Loris Powell, David Turnbull. Thought it was <laughs> immense, and I can mm. see why Laura was compared to, to Paul McStay. I mean, some of the some of the moves he had, he opens up his body, he plays with his head up all the time, so you can see. That's a problem extending and why that guy wasn't playing at the start of the season, it's just unbelievable. You know the thing I'm going to I'm going to actually uh, pick up on your point there, Jim. Laura did mention Paul McStay in the same breath as David Turnbull, but you cannot win because you might see something, you might see an element of a player in someone else, and you mentioned that, Laura. But obviously incoming flack uh, came your way because you had the audacity to mention Paul McStay with anybody in the same breath. McStay was an absolute um, icon at Celtic. I mean, growing up, he was the shining light during some very dark times in the the 1990s as well. And everybody that's seen him play loves the maestro Paul McStay. But I think what you were generally trying to say is that there are certainly elements of David Turnbull that you do see. Uh, that are similar to Paul McStay but straight away Laura it was how dare you speak of these two footballers in the same breath Um, how impressed have you been since his introduction really to the Celtic side yeah the whole um, Paul McStay comparison uh, was a bit tongue in cheek but like you say based on you know elements of what I saw in Turnbull now I I remember the tail end of Paul, Paul McStay's career which was a bit more injury sort of ravaged and he had problems with his ankles specifically and you know although uh, although I remember his, his testimonial specifically and, and some of the later years of him playing under Tommy Burns' team um, it was really the fact that my brother uh, who's eight years older than me he was you know Paul McStay was his absolute hero growing up and uh, I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of people watching can relate to that but I think specifically what I see in Turnbull is just this ability to drive from the midfield, occasionally provide a goal-scoring threat, which I know McStay, <clears throat> certainly in his later years, wasn't a massive goal-scoring threat, but just an ability to uh, pull the strings, but not from the usual kind of Pirlo uh, defensive midfield position, from a bit more of an advanced position uh, to be able to provide assists, see passes that we have, haven't have had a midfielder that we've, has been able to see these passes since, you know, maybe Nakamura. But even Nakamura is not a similar player. He was a more wide-based player. But yeah, that's, I think, what the main comparison is. Just somebody who is the creative heartbeat of the team that I think we can probably build on going into the future. See when you think about that, that type of player, Jim. Yeah, it's been a wee while since we've had one. I I look at the likes of McGregor. I don't see him as that type of player. Um, He's a different uh, style of player altogether. When was the last player we had of that ilk? Would you say, Jim? Uh, 
I would certainly echo Laura's point. So you want somebody in the middle of that part who can dictate the play, who's the, who's the guy you go to. Thinking back, Naka's a good call, but a bit slight, slightly different position. You back to the 90s, who have you got there? Lambert, Burley, they're not that similar either. Mm-hmm. Aitken wasn't that kind of player. So literally, you, you can back to box there, I suppose. Right, so you've been justified maybe, in what you've said, Laura. Maybe Andreas Tom slightly. Again, he's probably more of a, a goal threat than any of those that we've mentioned. But, you know, yeah, it is difficult between between Turnbull and McStay to, to find anybody that does exactly the type of thing that we're talking about. No, no, and yeah, I think absolutely that... Absolutely right, Laura, you're absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because when I've asked Jim the question, it's not easy to think of anybody between the two players who had that similar style. And I loved the Lambert-Burley partnership. Of course I did, but they did different things, didn't they, from the middle of the park. And looking at Turnbull, I know there's been some um, concern around the amount of times he's, he's taken off before the end of the game. Is that a concern for you, Laura? Is that just really part of the fact that he's had such a layoff through the injury and then another layoff by not being in the first team? Well, I think it's easy to forget how major that injury was. I watched the documentary that Motherwell uh, put out on their YouTube channel, which I would recommend to anybody. Uh, they put that out, obviously, before he left. And, you know, there was, as as with an injury of that type, there was a lot of work required, a lot of um, time and, and care required to get him back to full fitness. And there will be an element of uh, caution required around that, I'm sure. But, you know, we're, we're what, a year a year down the road from that now and you would think if something was going to go wrong with that then it would have happened already um, same, same to go with fitness you know if he's been in the team now for six weeks he should be match fit by now um, so I, I would think that's the only other reason that you would take him off um, but then that's all assuming that we've got a management and coaching staff that are making good decisions and making good judgments. I don't know that it's anything to do with any of those things. It might just be they're in the habit of doing that and so they have continued to do it and, and that unfortunately might be the main reason and I fear it probably is because I don't think the knee injury or the fitness are actually what's going on there. Mm. Now, I think obviously, right, Laura, I think we're all a bit confused by these substitutions in most of the games, and, and I don't see why they shouldn't play the boy for the full ninety minutes. To understand that. Now, the reason we're talking about Turnbull is because, once again, he impressed on Tuesday night when we played Kilmarnock. You'll notice that I'm sitting a wee bit further back from my microphone. If uh, anyone can't hear me, please let me know. It's just so that the heavy breathing that's um, getting on some people's nerves isn't uh, picked up as readily. But on, on Tuesday night, Jim, what did you make of it? Yeah, I get that we're playing what I, I consider to be a fairly poor team. They didn't even do what most teams have been doing to Celtic with regards to that, you know, that thick block of the de- defence um, as of the, you know, about 20 yards out that every team does against Celtic because they know we can't craft out a chance. But even when they did do it, what I was impressed at was the out ball to the new signing, John Joe Kenny. I thought he gave us a, another option that we've been really missing down the right this season. Jim, Jim Orr, sorry, that was that was a shout for you, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not sure the new guy, I think we'd have to see him over two or three games to see what he's like. And as you said, we're playing against a poor team the other night. Uh, I was a bit confused why we brought anyone in. As I said uh, a, few, a few minutes ago there, I think the players are there to get to get second place and I'd have just stuck with Olsen, I'd have just kept playing him. Uh, I thought the boy got a lot of the ball. Uh, I wasn't convinced about his final ball. I think there was one or two he put across out of about six or seven. So I mm. think it's a bit too early to judge the boy. Uh, again, I'm a bit confused as to why we brought him in because one assumes that he's on a decent wage 
and again, uh, okay, he's going back at the end of the season, so that won't impact him next season. But again, I just thought it was an unnecessary thing to do. On that point, I mean, someone, I think it was Amy actually on Wednesday, made the exact same point as yourself, Jim. And I've seen a wee bit of criticism on, on Twitter. We'll come back to Twitter criticism in a second or two. But um, I think I was looking at that, and although the deal that we have at the moment isn't a loan-to-buy deal, um, I think that you know there's always going to be that option. I read an article during the week uh, from an Evertonian talking about the fact that even though it's not a loan-to-buy, uh, depending on what happens between now and the end of the season, Celtic might still want to buy him. It's not as though you can't still make an offer for the player. And it is a position that we're really poor at at the moment in terms of cover. I'm not calling Ralston poor. I just think we're very light at right back. So, Lord, I'm going to ask yourself, is this a wee bit of forward planning, something that we have criticised the club for, especially when it comes to recruitment? Is this a bit of good forward planning on the club's part? I mean, I struggle to see it as forward planning when, when there's so many loan signings and things involved still. Um, I think that just anybody with any kind of football and knowledge who looks at the team that we've got would struggle to disagree that, that right back has been an issue for us so um, from that point of view you know I, I don't give them too much credit for having noticed that off the back of what we've said they should have been noticing it anyway um, but you know you can't scoff too much when you notice an issue in your team highlight it and they, they act to to sort of correct it. So from that point of view, I'm pleased because too many, too often this season we've seen seen issues that we have raised and that other fans have noticed uh, go ignored or at least not recognised within the club and not acted upon. Now, this leads us on to the main headline of today's podcast, which is around Albion Ayeti. Uh, he's been cited for simulation. Where is the consistency? The big word in Scottish football at the moment is consistency because we're continually reminded by our near neighbours Rangers that they are looking for consistency. Uh, and on the same night, there was an incident involving their um, player Roof, where you see a tackle that for me is a straight red every single day of the week. Even the player thought he was getting sent off. Yeah, on the flip side, Ayeti's been cited for simulation. Now, I'm going to ask where is the consistency, but before I do that, I want to take this opportunity to talk a wee bit about Albion Ayeti. Here's the guy, Jim, who, when he came in, and we can't change it, and I wouldn't even have, if I wanted to, I wouldn't change it, because we came out and said he'd been a great signing. Is he the signing of the summer? I said all that. After six games, I thought, <coughs> we've got we've got a real player on our hands here. Um, and for me, he was... Definitely the second striker alongside Edward. He was a first choice starter. He was a second striker alongside Edward. Griffiths was out of the picture at that point. Klamala, for me, is always going to be the fourth choice, um, even though I think he's probably third choice for Neil Lennon at the moment. But Ayeti came in, and for me, he looked brilliant. Since then, he's not, he's barely played, but he's not impressed. But what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to be as balanced as I can with, with Albion Yeti, because yesterday we had a discussion about, you know, Ayer perhaps leaving in the summer and he's only 22 and sometimes you forget that he's 22. Then we spoke about Edward being 23 and we still consider Edward as being quite young. I mean, fairly recently he was playing for the under 21s, um, even though he was 22 at the time. But Ayeti is also 23. He's the same age as Odson Edward, who we continually 
really rave about because he's so young. And, you know, he's come over to, well, as he's come up to Scotland during the pandemic, during the lockdown. He's been living in a hotel since he signed for the club. He's only 23. He doesn't know his teammates. He hasn't been able to integrate himself as readily with his teammates because of the pandemic. He's, he's on his own in this hotel. So he's got time to kill. He's bored. And then we wonder why this guy isn't performing. There's so much things outside of the game of football, the 90 minutes that we watch live, that's actually contributing to that. So people just think, oh, he's a bad signing. Oh, he's unfit. He doesn't look sharp enough. But what about everything else that's going out, going on in that young player's life? Because yeah, he's a young player. Um, so again, have we been harsh on the podcast? P- possibly, we possibly have been a wee bit harsh on him. Because as a football fan, you just look at him and think he's not trying or he's not performing, he's not scoring goals, and we're having a really bad season. But he comes back into the game on Tuesday night, and. I didn't think he had a phenomenal game or anything, but for me, he's back in the team and he keeps that jersey, absolutely. But the talking point has been this supposed dive uh, to win a penalty. I called it a soft penalty. I felt that the two incidents involving Edwards were looked more like penalties to me. But out of the three, we get one. And he's cited for simulation. I'm going to come to you first, Jim. What's your thoughts on us as football fans, you know, writing players off so quickly? Is it just frustration this season of all seasons because things aren't going so well? I think, as you said, there's, there's lots of factors in there that we don't see. And therefore, you have to be sympathetic to that. I think uh, when we signed Ayeti, we thought uh, he's a Swiss international. And West Ham paid a lot of money for him, so he must be a half-decent player. And he started off really well. But he's not the only player this season that we've signed who looked good at the start and turned out maybe not so good. So I think there's maybe more questions to be asked. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Last in there, Black's always the same. He came and looked really good and then went backwards. So I think there's a question to be asked about why certain players have went backwards. And I'd include Shane Duffy in that as well. You just said from me, bought Shane Duffy, he's an ideal guy to buy. But once you buy him, where do you play him? What kind of system do you play? So, I yet to get injured, which was unfortunate for him. But once, once, once he did come back, where did we play him? Why did we play him? What was the system that we played? Did we, mm. did we, did we play the system that best suited him? So I think there's loads of reasons. I think he's a player. Uh, and I think if he, if he like, like any player, if he gets a run of games, I think he'll show he's, 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 he's a, a good enough player. And I certainly wouldn't wait. I think he'll be the main guy next year, obviously, if Eddie uh, goes away. I think looking ahead, you know, he's got all the attributes, isn't he? Like you say, Jim, um, you're coming to Celtic uh, with some repute, uh, having played for Bale alongside El Yanoussi, earning himself the big money move to West Ham. There's a lot of players that doesn't work for down there. You know, there's there's a whole, uh, there's a plethora of players that it doesn't work for in the English League. They go somewhere else and they perform well. And I just think, this season of all seasons, because we've been so frustrated, angry 
um, about and reactive a lot of the time because we can't be there so we're reacting straight away after the games we have given a lot of players a, a kind of hard time and I just hope that Ayeti now that he's back in the side Jim can string a, a you know a collection of games together and, and find that form because we know he's, he's a decent player but again the flashpoint maybe, maybe just, to, just to add the thing I've said consistently over the whole season is one of the things that worked in our favour this year is having the five subs Mm-hmm. There's been things we've looked at and we say, well, there's no crowds, that's, that's a kind of bad thing. And other things we've looked at is a bad thing. But the five subs was ideal for us. And the number of times Ayeti was on the bench, and we could have put him in a half time. Why not? Given the games, you know, that that was something you think, why didn't he do that? You know, sorry, on you go. No, I agree with that. I really do. And, um, you know, we have persevered and we've shown a lot of loyalty to Lee Griffiths. But I just think that whatever's happened against St Mirren and with Lee coming off at half time, the decision's been made there in Neil Lennon's head. He's brought a Yeti back. And I think, you know, we asked earlier in the week, can he form a partnership with Edward? I'm pretty sure he can. Laura, what's your thoughts on that? You know, we're, we're all football fans. We're all guilty of it. We write players off left, right and centre. And I think that's happened with a Yeti. But now that he's back in the team, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I really hope he goes in a wee run and, and starts getting some goals um, as well. Alongside Edward, is that the beginning of him stringing some uh, games together and, and getting in amongst the goals again? Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, there's not a person on the planet who hasn't struggled with everything that's happened over the last uh, year. And footballers are human beings at the end of the day and will be no different. Um, I saw one of the commenters, forgive me, I forget who it was, but they said, you know, they couldn't imagine their mental health if they'd been stuck in a hotel since the, the summer. Mm-hmm. Add on to that that it's in a foreign country where you don't know anybody, you, you might not have a great grasp of the language, you... Uh, don't even know the city well enough to, to, you know, map it in your head that, well, I'm here and I'm close to this and I'm close to that. And, you know, it, it must be absolutely horrendous. And the only saving grace for him would have been, I'll get to play my football. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what impact it's had on him that he doesn't even have the chance to play the football and isn't being given the chance to play football. You know, you're asking this particular I think new signings are being asked to make a lot more sacrifices than other than players who have been based in the country for years. Players based in the country for years have those support networks, have probably got a more comfortable home to go back to. And so for the new players, there surely must be consideration about, you know, at least give them the chance to play their football. You never know, it might have the opposite effect where he might have been so relieved to be on the pitch and doing what he loves to do that he would he would outperform himself. So like like Jim was saying earlier, there's so many opportunities. I'm not saying playing from the start in big games if you don't see what you need to see from him, but we could have thrown him on for the last half an hour uh, of a game a lot more than we have done and, and perhaps he would have been able to to grasp that opportunity and get in the team. His performance against Kilmarnock, while not outstanding, was was you know, enough to me to to say that he should be in and around team selection a lot more than he has been. And and again, it goes back to the point that I made before. The decisions that are being made by the coaching team just beg so many questions just from an observer's point of view looking on. No, you're not. You know, you mentioned Laxalt earlier on, Jim, and, you know, he's in a similar scenario. He's in a similar scenario to a Yeti, uh, Uruguayan, 
He's uh, obviously based in Milan. He's coming over here, changing climate. Uh, he's not surrounded by friends that he's maybe managed to gather over in Italy. Uh, I don't know his grasp of English, thinking back to his um, his entrance in the press conference back then. But then it is difficult. What happens if you're not training? You're in a hotel room because it's not even as though you can meet up with your, your teammates, get to know them, have a coffee and all that kind of stuff because of the restrictions. So you're in a hotel room, what are you going to do? Watch DVDs and you know play computer games. It must be absolutely... you know. Groundhog Day for these guys. Listen to podcasts. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> or watch the podcast, Jim. So, you know, getting back onto the big the, the big flashpoint of a Yeti. I'm coming to you first, Jim Or. You know, you've watched Celtic for many, many years and we continually look at the, the level of consistency or even the competency level of the officials in this country. Uh, and again, you know, I see, I do see it elsewhere, but as a Celtic fan focusing on Celtic, we we tend to focus on these decisions, and then beyond the actual decision itself, when it gets to um, the hierarchy of the SFA, you, you always feel as though we get a raw deal. What's your thoughts on um, the decision to cite a Yeti for simulation? I think you have to go a wee bit behind that and actually understand how the system works. And I'll be honest, I don't know how the system works. I don't know how something ends up on the compliance officer's desk. Do you? How did well, you get there? For me, w- with regards to the actual report that the referee makes in a game, that that is vital. So if, for example, the the referee sees the, the roof incident and he has seen it and he's included it in his report and he's booked a player for the incident, it's not as though he's missed it. You know, so no, that, that, sorry, is, sorry. that is key. Not so much that. So, so after the Celtic game, uh, two bits of paper or two emails arrive on the compliance officer's desk. One says that Scott Brown's done something. You went maybe want to look at that, and Albion Yeti's done something. Maybe want to look mm-hmm. at that. My question is that who has sent them that information? I just want to understand how did they get the information in the first place? Who sends them that? And then went, might- once I understand that, you go to the next stage. I might be speaking out of turn, but is there not a referee's observer or something at the match usually who submits a report? Yeah, yeah but I'm not so sure that's what he, I'm not so sure that's what he does. Well, the complaint. You've had all the these complaint. stories about people. You've had all these stories about people watching things uh, on Sky TV or whatever, and, and somebody then complains to the compliance. Officer. I don't know if that happens or not. I'm just saying that I don't understand how it gets there in the first place. Is it somebody who's been at the game? Is it something that's saw it on TV? How does it get there in the first place? Because you need to understand that first and then to understand what happens next. And I think in any kind of system, you have to understand it has to be transparent and people have to be accountable and responsible and all these kind of big words. But I need to understand the system by which it gets in there in the first place. And I still don't know that because I've tried to find that out and I can't find it out. So when you're looking at the compliance officer, Jim, so... After a, a weekend uh, uh, or games or after a, a midweek fixture list, as you say, there'll be a list of complaints coming into them from a variety of sources. But, for example, that doesn't always include the game itself. So when Lee Griffiths is in an airport and people are, are shouting abuse at him and he responds, the compliance officer received a number of complaints about that. So then they decide, be that off the field or on the field incidents, whether or not the player needs to be cited. So they have then, after the complaint's been received, looked at the footage and decided that 
he should be cited. So what you're basically saying is that anyone can contact the compliance officer. Oh yeah, that's, that, that's, that's 100% well, that's, anyone can contact well, the compliance well, that, officer. Well, that, well, that's not a good system for me. I think there's always be certain people or certain clubs. Yeah, I'd I look to the game the other night, and I think if we just stick to the Celtic game, I wouldn't stick to any other games in case I got lots of abuse on social media as I got last week. But somebody has watched the game on Tuesday night and thought Scott Brown potentially should get a red card there. Now, the only people that have suffered from that is the other team. They've been disadvantaged because if you assume, just for the sake of this chat, that that was a red card, then mm-hmm. I don't know when he committed the offence. Was it maybe after 30 minutes or something? It was, uh, so, so, I, basically, so basically what should have happened, if that's deemed to be a red card defence, then on the one hand, he should get a ban. He should get a ban. On the second hand, one team has suffered from that, and one se- oh, sorry, one team has had an advantage from that, and one team's had a disadvantage from that. How do you make that right? I'd like to see how you can make that right, and I've got ideas about that. And then you look at the referee, and if you say that was a definite red card and he missed it, then he- then something has to happen to the referee and the other of his team who has seen that. So. Uh, so if the fourth official saw it, if the referee saw it, if the closest linesman saw it, there should be some consequences for them. It comes next. And that's the point about having some sort of system. You know, and at the moment what, what tends to happen is once you get through the system, the system that I don't know how it works, but when you get to the end point of that and you say that Scott Brown committed that offence, it's a red card offence, you get a two match ban. The referee and his team, how could you have missed that? So when they suspend you for two weeks, you and the assistant and the fourth official, you never saw it. And if you make another mistake like that, I'm going to suspend you for four weeks or demote you to the championship. And then is there a way you can then come back and say, well, how can we make that right for the team that were disadvantaged? And one idea you could have, which, which wouldn't pass anyway, would be that the next time those two teams play, Celtic should withdraw a player after, after 30 minutes to give Kilmarnock that advantage. That's trying to get things back to the way they were. And to me, that's fair. It's got no chance of happening. But, but, but that's dealing with it in a kind of fair way. Because what you do is the player who committed the offence, you get your two-match ban. The officials who missed it, you get a bit of a ban or a suspension. And then Kilmarnock, who suffered the next game you play, you'll get the advantage then. And then to my mind, the only person that can raise the point with the compliance offer is the team that suffered. And they're the only people that can do that. Because I think it's mm. totally bizarre that I can sit and watch a match on the TV. I don't know, I'll make one up. Say it's Hibs against Motherwell. I've got no life. So I'm watching Hibs against Motherwell. And I see something happening in the game. And I could uh, pick up the phone or go online and email the compliance officer and say, I've seen something on TV I don't like. That's, that's nonsense. That, that should happen. No, the th- the thing with that though, Jim, can raise things. anyone can raise it. But... The process that you're talking about that may be a grey area is how they process who raises it. So, for example, if you, me and Laura, every single time we see something against Rangers we don't like, were to contact the compliance officer, how much, seriously, how much weight is that going to have, you know, against St Johnston raising the same issue? St Johnston as a club raising that issue. So, on Tuesday night, the simulation, alleged simulation of a Yeti, who raised that? Well, you know, I'm pretty sure if, if 30,000 Rangers fans or Kilmarnock fans raised it um, against 
maybe Kilmarnock Football Club themselves raising it, they're going to be looking at the Kilmarnock FC. Otherwise, they're going to have to actually take, believe it or not, statements from every individual if they're going to use that in part of their investigation. So you and I can raise it. How, how serious are going to take uh, our concerns on board? Probably we'll never hear from them ever again. But the most that you're going to get is you might uh, get a visit from an SFA compliance officer, uh, assistant, who will take a statement from you, and that be, may be used in their investigation. That's never going to happen for on-field incidents. You know, that, that would never happen for on-field incidents. A, I, just think that, I just think that's a complete waste of time. I just think there should only be certain individuals or clubs that are involved in the games concerned that can raise points with the compliance officer. And that's going back to a system. What is the system? And it seems to be like anyone can do this, and to me that doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's even although, before you understand what do they do with the red cards? Or whatever. Although I, I agree with that. What, what will happen is, in essence, they will only listen to certain areas. So the complaint comes in from the club that you're playing. They're going to listen to that. If you and I complain about it, they're not going to listen to it, are they, Jim? I mean, they're not going to come out and take a statement from you. So he's been cited. We won't find out uh, where that report came from, who made it who made the complaint but then what happens after that you know the process obviously or, you know you've got three people from a group and etc they look at the situation but at this moment in time what what's basically happening is a yeti has been called a cheat that that's what's happened and uh, they're going to have to review that incident and I've seen it from all the different angles at the time I said it was soft I've since seen a, a close up angle where you can actually see that his foot does change direction because of the goalkeeper's hand so at this moment in time, I'm just hoping that um, you know there's there's insufficient evidence for that charge to to be um, levied out to Albanayeti. I think it's the last thing he needs as a player. But I don't feel that I it's consistent. Opening, I don't feel it's consistent. I think they're opening a massive can of worms with this one. I can understand they can have read the somebody uh, trying to elbow somebody in the face or some some sort of violent conduct. I can understand that. But if they're going to look at that. And they're going to have to look at a whole lot of different things. And they're opening a whole can of worms for themselves. And I think every team will have an issue when one of their players gets done for something like this. And all we do is waste a lot of people's time. I think it's a real big, big can of worms. I think as I think as well the other the other issue that that I've seen people say is you know how how can you blame the referee for getting it wrong? He was acting like on in the moment and stuff like that. And yeah. I can understand that as an argument, but for the for the people reviewing that then to charge a jetty when I'm sure they had access to the video footage that we've all seen, how can you you can question whether he dived or not when you see it at full speed and whatever you cannot question whether he dived or not uh, having seen the video footage footage Paul John that you just meant, mentioned, um, and I'm I like to think of myself as quite fair minded of like. Uh, you know, if a Celtic player does dive, uh, who was the the Dutch winger Boric there was it that that got done for diving a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and he definitely yeah, did. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. I, I, I like to think myself quite fair. And if if a Celtic player dives and they get done for it, fair enough. But I don't want any player to get done for diving when there's video evidence suggesting exactly the opposite or confirming exactly the opposite. I should say. And in Ajeti's case, he's been very hard done by in a situation where he'll feel now like, is this going to affect my chances of getting picked again? I can Mm -hmm. only hope that somebody at the club has said, no, listen, 
we know you've been hard done by here, don't worry about it. But it's not something they should have to worry about at all because it should have been thrown out as soon as it was looked at. No, I agree with you, uh, Laura. And I think that, you know, opening up the discussion by looking at Albion Ayeti um, and his time in Scotland so far, it really just lends weight to that situation. Let's think about the player for a moment. He's uh, now been called the cheat. He's been cited to the authority. He faces a two-match ban. He'll be thinking, I've just got back into the team. I might be back out. What if Klamala or Griffiths comes back in and scores a couple of hat-tricks? So, you know, I, I feel, I actually really feel for a Yeti uh, over this. But I also think that there is a lack of transparency, Jim. Would you agree with the whole process and totally, a lack of consistency? Absolutely. Yeah, Totally. Another thing I don't understand is that if the referee had deemed that to be a die by the time he gets a yellow card, then that's it. And without talking about it, he's going to get banned for two matches. And that, mm. that doesn't make sense. It's also the fact that I think the linesman was, was at that side as well. So the linesman and the referee both had a good view of it and thought it was a penalty kick. And it may be a mistake. And I, and I, and I did think he dived a bit. I think it was a really soft penalty kick. Uh, but the linesman saw it and the referee saw it. And if you want to refer that to the compliance officer, as I said a second ago, that's a can of worms. There's going to be tons of incidents now that tons of teams will think, hold on, that's going to the compliance officer. There's nothing in that. And the compliance officer, whoever that is, I don't actually know who it was, because I thought the, the, the one before left last November or something, is a, is a new compliance officer? Who knows? Anyway, they're going to be inundated with stuff. Inundated with stuff. Just on the point you raised, Jim, yeah, you can make a complaint to the, the compliance officer. You absolutely can. And what they'll do is, obviously, they'll, they'll gauge um, the complaint itself. So if as I was saying to Jim if you're a fan in the stand or sitting watching it in your house at the moment and you make a complaint they're going to gauge that um, against the weight of a complaint coming in against the team who's been disadvantaged um, so yeah you can make a complaint and there's things off the pitch that there are incidents for example Jay uh, the example I'm going to give you is the Lee Griffiths example whereby he had words with a Rangers fan at an airport and the you know compliance officer because people were watching the footage on their phone and there was a number of complaints made to the compliance officer I think it was 15 complaints on the back of Lee Griffiths responding to the Rangers fan at the airport so that's off the field um, the other one that I can remember is uh, Lafferty remember he walked off at Celtic Park and he raised his middle finger to a Celtic fan in the stand you remember that as he was just walking to the tunnel and there was a deluge of complaints made by Celtic fans to the compliance officer so although it was part of a game it wasn't on the, the field of play uh, because it was missed obviously by all the officials in the stadium but loads of Celtic fans seen him flicking the bird to a Celtic fan so yeah you can make a complaint to the compliance officer they will then gauge it and decide whether or not it's serious enough to, to visit you or speak to you over the phone and get a, a witness statement um, so that's the way that that works but as I say to, to Jim um there is a lack of transparency because, you know, here's three football fans here talking about a situation that affects our club and affects our players. Um, and it is difficult to, even if you're to go, Jim, onto the SFA's website, it's difficult to, to answer a lot of the grey areas in between who makes a complaint. You know, how is it dealt with from there? Which, which is exactly what I did this morning, just to try and understand it a, a bit more than I do. And I still don't understand it and I still completely disagree with anyone can complain. I think there should only be a handful of people or, or the club or something that can make that complaint. Because if I'm the compliance officer and I get thousands of complaints, I have to wade through all these thousands of complaints. I just think that's a silly system. And then once once you do get to the point where if, if you if you thought there's a case to answer, then what happens next? Mm -hmm. uh, they pick in 3X, referees is it, and then they three. decide. 
Yes. Does yep. it have to be them all? Does it have to be as, as long as two decide it's okay? How does that work? I don't think that's listed, Jim. I don't know if it's uh, one of the things that there needs to be a mutual agreement between everybody involved or if it's a majority. But uh, again, that's not listed on the SFA's guidelines. And also, also the unfair thing was the Celtic match was on Sky the other night. So, so loads of people are going to see that. And the, and the point I made earlier, if I was watching Hibs against Motherwell and Hibs TV, hardly anyone's watching that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's going to be the teams that feature on TV all the time. And that's not fair. No matter what team you're from, that's just not fair. So the system's not fair. How they get, how they how they put the complaints in is completely bizarre to me. And I'm not actually sure how the system works. So if you've got that, you've got no transparency, no accountability, no responsibility, and it'll fall apart. And it's no wonder all the teams are complaining. All the teams are complaining. Not just us. All the teams. Just before I come back to you, Laura, John Aaron comes in to ask a, a fair enough question he dived let's just face it he got caught paranoid maybe you know what I love about that right we've spent most of the season criticising Celtic but as soon as we feel as though there's an injustice we stand up for the player we, we get back into that, that natural instinct where we're trying to defend Celtic um, Laura when you're looking at these things I mean as a whole you, you watch the game you watch the, the, the full performance of the official and you ask yourself the question about Scott Brown that, that Jim brought up I think it was 20 odd minutes into the game I don't think it was a sending off he shouldn't have done it because some referees may have sent him off and then you look at maybe the, the shout for offside when Edwards uh, beat the offside trap was it offside? potentially and then as I say with regards to the, the, the penalty I felt it was soft at the time but I thought we had been denied a couple anyway so I just think it's, it is a lack of consistency in terms of the performance of the referees Laura I don't think it is paranoid you know I don't uh, to to speak back to John's point. I don't think it's paranoia. I I don't really have time for these ongoing conversations about like an institutional bias one way or the other. Um, I don't really get involved in those conversations. I, but in a situation where in a one-off decision they are handling it wrong or making the wrong decision or turning it over when it shouldn't be turned over, I think you're right to call that out. Um, to say that a jetty dived, well, how do, how do you define a dive then? I, I agree with what Jim said, and that it probably went down a bit easily. It was soft, whatever, but it, but contact was made. So, can you call it a dive when contact was made? I don't know. As for Scott Brown, there's there's a lot I could say about him uh, that probably wouldn't prove popular with a lot of people. But the the main frustration I have with him is. Whether you think he should have been sent off for what he did against Gomarnock or not, he's only just back from a suspension. He, you could cite a million instances where he has or hasn't been sent off, but he's forced the referee into making a decision and provided a talking point after the game. It's unnecessary. It's it's not something he should continue to be doing. It's something he should have learned about long ago. And it's something that you know everybody says, oh, Scott Brown wouldn't be Scott Brown without that edge to his game. Well, I just don't agree. You can get, you can get the similar types of players all over the world that don't put their teams in jeopardy as often as he does in terms of, you know, he's thirty six years old and you still think when he's on the pitch, you know, if he loses, he's not. We're we're in trouble here. We shouldn't be thinking about that about him anymore, and and it seems to continue to be the case. 
You know, I, I, it's something we need to discuss as well because obviously Brown was reintroduced to the side, Laura, and the big question is, you know, is that the case for the remainder of the season? I'm keen to get through David Kelly's points so we can see Jim, Jim's head's just popping over the bar uh, there. Ever yet, his ban is upheld. I can see a whole lot of bans coming in. It was a dive, but it was also a foul. The keeper made contact with the player and not the ball. I think that's an important point David makes because I think he, he might have... Uh, played on it I, I don't know if I would go as far to say a dive I think he played on it he made the most of it but there definitely was contact from the, the goalie and I, I'm hoping that once that is reviewed that that is what comes out Mark is saying thanks for joining us on YouTube Mark both clubs give ratings on the match the official so does the assessor and at the end of the season they're all taken to account into account so it's one of these things Jim you know it's been a a big bugbear uh, of Celtic fans for many many years I don't want it to come across that we're going to sit here and dedicate a whole podcast to to bad decisions because of the, the situation we're in we, we have already accepted we're in the situation for bad decisions we've made uh, but obviously if something happens we're entitled to, to discuss it um, and I just hope you know I really just hope for the player that it isn't a stop-start season and this is going to be another stop another stop for him as well, Jim? I think the officials are poor. Uh, but I've got sympathy for what happened the other night. I mean, the referees saw it and the linesman saw it and it's like a judgment call. It's kind of 50-50. I don't, I don't, I don't mind that happening. No matter what team's involved, what happened the other night with that penalty, it's a 50-50. It could go either way. What annoys me is when they get the big decisions wrong. The Motherwell guy who almost half Jerry Frimpong in two and the referee standing five yards away. Those are the ones I, I think, you know, are, are just ridiculous. And there should be some consequences for the match officials for ones like that, which are dead obvious. Violent play that could hurt people severely. And that referee should have been suspended or demoted or something. There has to be a system where there's some consequences for the officials. The one the other night, I thought it was kind of 50-50. It could have went either way. Eddie's goal looked a bit offside, but Linesman is incredibly difficult. After that, after the shot in the past, I've been a linesman. It's, it's a it's a it's a it's a hard hard gig, and you're going to get some, and you're going to get some. But it's the really obvious ones, particularly violent play. That's the ones I like the referees to get right. And if they don't get them right, then they should face some consequences there. I've got a bit of sympathy with the referee the other night. It's a fifty fifty for me. Kevin Graham's not on the show today, uh, but he is joining us on the comment section via YouTube to say that he doesn't agree with you, Jim, uh, lose a player the next time, but think that player being suspended the next time they play could be a goer. Uh, and again, that opens another can of worms because the, the player might be suspended or injured or um, some other reason they can't play, might not even be at the club the next time they play. So what would you do then? So yeah, it's a, it's a can of worms. I think, yeah, well, I think, I think the, point I was always, the, the point I was trying to make is a team has been disadvantaged so how do you get some advantage back to that team and that's one way of doing that I wouldn't imagine that would come in in any way, shape or, uh, any way shape or form but to me that's trying to get back to the way it should have been what should have happened and I'm not saying Scott Brown should get a red card or night. but if he have said that if, if the compliance officer did say he should have got a red card then what should have happened the other night is Kilmarnock should have played against Celtic for 60 minutes with a one man advantage so how do you get back to that and having Celtic withdraw a player next time they play for 60 minutes, I think that's a way of trying to get back to the, the way it should have been. That's all I'll be saying. And what um, does Kevin know anyway? Because he doesn't know anything. 
Mark makes a good point, and this obviously goes against the uh, incidents I was referring to that were off the field incidents. But uh, Mark says that the complaint will be made by the, the assessor. So this is an in-match Jim to answer that query. Who, in his or her opinion, the officials missed. So this is the assessor for in-match incidents rather than the Lee Griffiths one yeah. or the Lafferty one that was referred to earlier. Aye, aye. What, what, what Mark said there is missed. The referee never missed it the other night. The linesman never missed it the other night. They saw it and yeah. thought it was a penalty. So he didn't miss anything. It's different, again, if somebody backhands, if somebody elbows somebody in the face and the ref never saw it, that's a different thing from what happened the other night. And this opens a whole can of worms. You're going to have tons of incidents like this now, having to go to the compliance officer, open a big can of worms here. Now, as well as the can of worms, there's, there's loads of other things um, going on at the, in the world of Celtic. Jim, we spoke at length last week in relation to uh, Peter Lowell's departure. Uh, that has obviously sank in, I think. And we've also been talking about the results of the review, Laura. And it doesn't look as though they're, they're going to be forthcoming anytime soon. Uh, JP Taylor's been trying his best to answer you know, questions on Twitter. And... What I'm going to say here, just take this opportunity that, you know, when it comes to Twitter and Twitter abuse, and I know everybody on the screen just now has been uh, on the wrong end of Twitter abuse, just for having the uh, audacity to have an opinion on a Celtic state of mind. It's not nice, um, but it's just another wee reminder. We've been talking about a Yeti. We've been talking about the very human side of this player. We think they're robots. You know, we, we don't think about how they're affected by everything else that's going on. Um, and it's the same. The same applies online. You know, JP can't answer a few queries and then he starts getting abuse. Uh, we might have a something that we've said online that people disagree with and, and then we get abuse and it's just a little reminder you know back in December uh, we ran a really successful fundraiser and one of the charities that benefited was a mental health charity so we just need to keep checking that you know these are the things that, that can really grind people down and they really can affect people's mental health so I'm really really aware of that and it's one of these things that's very difficult to, to shut off the noise isn't it when people are targeting you um, incessantly from both sides of Glasgow unfortunately but that that you know has happened this season and then I take that and I think well we have been very critical of certain elements of Celtic you know be that Peter Lowell or or Neil Lennon, for example, and Neil Lennon has spoken, you know, quite openly about his battle with mental health. So I always take that into consideration. There has to be a balance, you know. It can't just be let's go for them and, and continue to go for them. There needs to be that balance. So I always take that view on board, and I don't think that when we're criticising Laura that we go over the score and we make it a personal vendetta against any one individual. No, I think I think the distinction that people need to make when they when they are criticising you for an opinion that you have or for something that you say, I'm not saying everybody needs to agree with what what you or I or Jim say. The three of us often don't agree with each other, as, as you see on this podcast. The difference is disagree with the people because of that opinion. State why you disagree with it because of that opinion. Don't go after, you know the way they sound or the way they look or the way they something about themselves that's not related to what you're talking about don't make assumptions about you know who they vote for politically or what religion they are or you know anything sexual orientation whatever these things are all absolutely irrelevant to the discussion that we're having people need to 
take some accountability for what they're saying. And that is what we are doing by coming on this podcast. We are putting our faces and our names out there to offer the opinions that we have, to make the statements that we want to make and to take the flight that comes with that because we know that there will be flight that comes with it. If you're not brave enough to do that, but you are brave enough to sit there and type out what you want to type out, then I'm afraid I don't have any respect for you. I think there's an old Jim. football phrase that you should try and not play the man, play the ball. And that's about not trying to shoot the messenger. And I think it's really good that so many people participate in the podcast and put comments afterwards. But just to echo Laura's sentiments, uh, we wouldn't expect, certainly I wouldn't expect everyone to agree with what I've got to say. But I'm saying what I'm saying based on trying to look at some of the facts, trying to put a bit of logic, a bit of rationale. And I'll say this is my opinion. If you don't agree with my opinion, come on and say, I completely disagree with this guy because my opinion is X, Y, and Z. And we can have some sort of healthy debate. But this call names of people, it's, it's incredibly childish. Incredibly childish. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's something that, again, has been called out time and time again, particularly when it gets into the the realms of racism, which we see all the time uh, online, unfortunately. And there's a big onus on, I feel, the actual platforms themselves and we, we did a, an interview a while back in the studio when we were allowed to meet people with Sean McDonald and Sean made a great point to say that you have to verify yourself before you get on these platforms and I think that that would be key and how do you verify yourself? Well, you need to identify yourself, don't you? So you need to provide photographic identification from a passport or a driver's license before you can even have a Twitter page or a Facebook page or indeed, you know, set up a YouTube page um, and actually start quoting and uh, commenting on other people's appearance or race or sexuality and all these other things that are being targeted on a daily basis. But it's just another reminder there because I think we've got a great community of people who get involved on a regular basis on a Celtic state of mind but unfortunately there is a minority and they either do it live or they do it after the event and they just you know they're like a dog with a bone and they just keep going for individuals to the point where there was an incident um, fairly recently you know where you know poor Irish Mick had a, had a real issue online and um, you know he was really badly affected by it so we've just got to remember that it can really affect people so I think that's Can I just but in there I've just seen a comment from uh, I think it was David Bradley it scrolled past now but he says I support Celtic Football Club that is what we're all here for we're here to discuss Celtic which uh, like to say that they're a club open to all I would like to think that the support reflect that and that we are accepting of anybody who wants to to support Celtic to talk Celtic to talk football issues because that's what we're all here to do um, and that's that's basically it I support Celtic Football Club and that that should be the end of it no, you're right. And even on the back of that, Laura, we have people coming in who are self-proclaimed Dundee United or Hibs fans who comment and they're all about actually having a balanced debate about football. Yeah. And, I, and that's fair enough. You just think, absolutely, get involved. Um, and that's fine. But the other side of that, the toxic side of that, let's let's outlaw it. Let's call it out and let's make sure that the people making these comments um, are going to be blocked from from the channel. So I think that's always important to focus on that. We spoke a wee bit about transfers, Jim. And this week we have been looking at, you know, 
potentially another few Celtic youngsters leaving the club. It's a massive problem at the moment, not just with Celtic. And, you know, you start to wonder, is it the ambition of the club that they're doubting? Is it the the manager who's currently in place that they, they don't think they can develop under? Or is it Scottish football? Is it the lack of youth to first team? that we see time and time again in Scottish football. How do we combat that, Jim? Because I think going into a post-Covid, post-Brexit world in football, Celtic are going to really have to focus again on the youth development. I think there'll be elements of what you just said there. But to me, it's just all money. I think the clubs are going to. will be paying them far more than we're going to pay them. So it's, it'd, have been, it'd have been different if they were leaving Celtic to go to Motherwell or Dundee United, but they're going to buy in Munich and other major clubs they'll be paying them three, four, five, six times as much as we'll be paying them. Now, whether they're, they're going to get as much chance of getting the first team as we do staying at Celtic, who knows? But if you're a young kids and you're offered, again, four, five, six times your wages, then I think that's the main reason that they're going. And I think when you look at how much footballers are paid these days, it's ridiculous. I saw something the other day that said that David De Gea is earning 375000 a week, nearly £20 million a year. It's gone mad. Absolutely mad. No, it has. And but the thing with that is when I look at the situation down south whereby, you know, big, big clubs like Arsenal are paying off mascots but playing players three hundred grand a week and all that kind of stuff, it's not sustainable. And I think that where we are just now in the the middle, hopefully we're not in the middle, hopefully we're at the tail end of the pandemic, where it shows just how unstable that game is down south, you know, because it is it's built on a on a castle isn't it? And then it, all it takes is a situation like this for it to start crumbling. In Scotland, my biggest concern, Laura, is you know the clubs don't have that financial acumen that they do have down south, and we've been hearing horror stories of clubs like Aberdeen burning a million pound a month, you know, coming up to transfer deadline day and selling players probably just to keep the lights on. And you know, there's going to be casualties. Uh, and the Scottish game is, itself is going to really suffer from it. But we're talking about legacies. Celtic will come through this. Celtic will come through this. Yeah, we might have lost our title. We might have failed to win 10 in a row. We are no longer the consistent treble winners that we have been for four years in a row. But we will come through it. So I've read and heard everything possible about the legacy of Peter Lowell. And we all have the right of that opinion. But, you know, if we do come through it, do you think there's going to be a situation? And I'm going to come to you first, Laura. Where we look back on this particular time in our lives, in our Celtic supporting lives, and also the time, the life and times of Peter Lowell at Celtic, where there might be an appreciation maybe after the event. Well, listen, I, I, I've always appreciated Peter Lowell a lot more than a lot of people have because I think we haven't had to look too far, as I've said before, to understand uh, what financial mismanagement does to clubs. You know, at the end of the day, the reason that we all are sitting here talking, sitting here discussing things and that we go to games is because we've got a club there that we want to support. And, and having had our club so close to death's door within the last 30 years, uh, it's something that doesn't uh, doesn't go over my head to, to appreciate that it's still here and there's somebody at the helm that's managing it that... that has allowed it to flourish in the way that it has. I, I think he's handing it over to somebody from what I've read who will have the same kind of 
sensible approach to how he manages things off the park in terms of finances and, and for that I appreciate it um, I, I think there will be a lot of Celtic supporters just dismayed and angry uh, at some of the lack of you know what is the point of the financial stability if not to press ahead when we have an advantage mm. that's the only criticism I have of Peter Lowell is that he's not uh, for want of a better phrase you know stuck the knife in further in situations where he could have done uh, and that's that's really the only issue that I have and it's why we've ended up in the situation we're in now um, but you, but you can't criticise him for the way that he runs a football club in terms of uh, spreadsheets and things like that because at that alone, you know, he's probably one of the most successful in Europe. Um, I think uh, I think more people will come round to that way of thinking as years go by. But uh, at the moment, things are just tainted by you know emotion and, and anger and upset. It's like we were talking about the other day. I have a lot more um, time and respect for Fergus McCann than I think a lot of people who were around. Uh, who were older at the time that he was at the club because they maybe had a, a lot more insight and an emotion attached to the way that he handled things than I maybe do and I'm maybe able to be more objective and hopefully in future people will be a bit more objective about Peter Lowell as well You raise uh, the name Fergus McCann there Laura and obviously the, the infamous, infamous incident of him unfurling the flag against Dunfermline after we had won the league the previous season and he was booed and we all know the story uh, you know, and he was booed for a number of reasons, but I think most of the people I've spoken to regret uh, that that happened. And what I'm trying to say yeah. or pitch to you, Jim, is there are a vast number of reasons that people are unhappy with Peter Lowell. The reasons yeah. you raised last week uh, being, um, you know, reasons that a lot of people are unhappy with uh, Mr. Lowell, yeah. and have yeah. said that that will be his legacy. You know, do you think that that will ever be softened, or are you more of the view that that will never be forgotten? First of all, I love Kevin Graham as well. Yeah, I have to say that. Uh, I think a lot of this stuff is down to timing. Uh, when Peter Lowell came in in 2003, I think we had debts of about 30 million plus. And by 2008, he got that down to about 4 or 5 million, I think. We'd won three in a row at that point in time. We'd qualified for the group stage of the Champions League twice. So the knockout stages twice in his tenure. And I think if we'd have left then, He'd been, he'd been, you know, looked upon far, far better than when he's leaving now. There's the stuff I talked about last week. I'm not going to talk about that again because I've got loads of abuse for it. And I think that's a big issue. And what I also found a bit strange because when we came on last week, <clears throat> uh, we had just found out he was leaving. And I hadn't really clicked that uh, if they had done this the way they should have done it, he should have announced this last summer. He should have announced last summer, I'm going at the end of the season. And we'll bring in the new guy at New Year now. And the new guy can shadow him for six months. And Peter can show him the ropes and take him to the SFA meetings and the UEFA meetings and have a planned uh, retirement. Whereas it was a reaction. It was a reaction to fans aren't they happy. Peter, you better say you're going now. No thought process. Strange decision. You know, so, so I think his legacy... Uh, is not as good as it could have been if he might have left back in 2008. Too many things have happened. And I think you've got the banner from the Green Brigade a few years ago, don't sleep at the wheel. They've been in a coma, as far as I'm concerned. So many bad decisions over the past two or three years, and that's led us to where we are just now. And as I said at the start of the show, that people look back, January 2021 is one of the most embarrassing months in Celtic's history. And I think Peter Law put a big part in that. 
I remember a book written by the esteemed Celtic historian, uh, Ten Days That Shook Celtic. And yeah. you, th- you think back to that month, Jim, don't you, of January 2021 as being one of those uh, kind of periods in Celtic's history that we will look back on. Um, it was horrendous. Also, Paul, when you think about it, the month before, that's when we won the, we won the quadruple treble. You know, so you yeah. make history one month and then you sink to the depths the next month. It's such a bizarre season. It has been. It has been. And I think it's important also to look ahead. And now, Laura made a point earlier about that reinvestment process, Laura, you know, making vast sums of money. And there's always been that argument that we need to reinvest it to take it to another level. One thing that I've uh, kind of been able to uh, collate and summarise from looking at Dominic Mackay's career, in particular with the SRU, is that that's something that he does tend to do is increase turnovers at various areas of the business but then reinvest it not only in, in the you know signing of players etc but also in the youth uh, of the organisation so I'm looking forward to the new uh, the new approach I really am looking forward to that uh, we've got to look forward to something don't we so looking ahead then to tomorrow Celtic versus Motherwell Motherwell got the new manager in Graham Alexander they seem to be doing okay they seem to have had that new manager bounce as they call it Jim, what's your thoughts? Are we going to stick to largely the same lineup that did the business against Kilmarnock? And how do you see the game going? I can't see making many changes from last Tuesday night. Uh, I think Motherwell, as you say, have got that bounce. So that'll be another hard game and maybe just sneak it 2-1, something like that. What about yourself, Laura? I mean, again, we'll be watching it and we'll be covering the game on a Celtic State of Mind from 30 minutes before kick-off. How do you see that one going? Um... <sighs> I struggle to predict these days because it, it, you never know what team, either in terms of lineup or just motivation, is going to go out on the pitch. Um, so I, I'm with Jim. I, I hope against probably my better judgment for a reasonably comfortable win. I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll hope we can build on the goals that we built the other night, and I'll say three one. Here's hoping. Nice and positive end to Friday's Celtic State of Mind bulletin. Thanks everybody for getting involved on Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube. If you haven't done so already, join us on Facebook, Twitter and on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel on YouTube. We have content out every single day, seven days a week, sometimes multiple content. And we've got more plans ahead for more content free of charge on that channel. All that's left for me to say is thank you Jim Moore, thank you Laura Bradburn for joining me again on a Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.